read from the New Testament, Luke 21, verses 25 to 36. Verses 25 to 36. There will be signs in the sun, moon, and stars. On the earth, nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the sea. Men will faint from terror, apprehensive of what is coming on the world. For the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. When these things begin to take place, stand up and lift up your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. He told them this parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. When they sprout leaves, you can see for yourselves and know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happen, you know that the kingdom of God is near. I tell you the truth. The generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Be careful, or your hearts will be weighed down in with dissipation, drunkenness, and the anxieties of life. And that day will close on you unexpectedly like a trap. For it will come upon all those who live on the face of the whole earth. Be always on the watch and pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen and that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. So they've had success in the back. Not because of this telescope, but because Jason came to the rescue. He happened to have a more functional telescope in his truck. A spotting scope. Yeah, so here's one that actually works. This one did work. Yeah, kids, you can go back to your seat. But did you find it? The phone number? What is it? We'll trust that it's right. So the spotting scope worked. This one, it took me about five minutes to find it. So it's, it's possible, but that one's a little bit uh, more laborious. So what did this have to do with anything? We'll get to that. Stay tuned. Well, this morning, as has been mentioned, is the first Sunday of Advent. And it doesn't really feel like Advent, right? It's, it feels more like spring, like we should be talking about Easter, the, the way that the sun is out and it's warm and it's wet from rain and things like that. We're used to Advent, kind of more like the mid, the dark, the bleak midwinter, right? Cold and stormy and snowy. But that's, that's not what we have. It's Ohio. But we have, today is the first Sunday of December and it's the first Sunday of Advent. And it just feels like, I don't know for you guys, but for me, it feels like a week or so ago that we were going through this last year. You know, Advent comes every year in the lead up to Christmas. And as, as I was preparing for the sermon, it just feels like this is, I feel like I was just preaching this a couple weeks ago. But it's Advent again. And Advent, as, as we do every year, we enter into this season. It's before Christmas. And it's this time of waiting, this time of longing, this time of expectation. 
where where we're waiting for promises to be fulfilled. We're waiting for what we've been taught, what we've been preached about, what we've read about, all these things to become in their fulfillment. And so we enter into that, that season of waiting, waiting for the Incarnation, waiting for the Messiah. And the hymns, typically the Advent hymns, some that we sung this morning, aren't necessarily like celebratory hymns. They're, a lot of times they're a little bit more minor, a little bit darker in their tone, a little bit slower. Uh, they're Advent hymns because they're, they're, they're hymns about waiting. They're hymn, hymns about expectation. They're hymns about longing. Um, we all want those Christmas carols, right? So, I mean, if you turn on the radio, you've been hearing Christmas carols probably for a month now. We want to hear those, and we want to sing those in church, but we're in the season of waiting, where we, we, we expect, and so we don't quite have that celebratory tone yet, because we're entering into that waiting period. We know what they're, what's coming, we know what we're celebrating, but now we wait. And this is a challenge, I think, for all of us for every year, this, this time of waiting as humans. Uh, none of us like to wait. But I think there's another layer of challenge for us is that I think we, we think, yeah, we need to wait, right? It's, we understand waiting. We teach our kids about waiting. And we all understand about waiting for Christmas. And we, we kind of we, we transition and we, we can maybe uh, make the waiting the way of the world where we wait for the holidays. We wait for some time off work. We wait for some time with family. We wait for Christmas presents to unwrap. Maybe, maybe a lot of you are past the Christmas present age. So I know some of you are not. And we, we wait for Sunday or Christmas morning or, or Christmas Eve to unlock or unwrap those presents. Or maybe we're waiting for first snow to go sledding. You know, we, we, can, we can understand this waiting. But that's a little bit misdirected. Because even though it is important to wait for those things, it's important to, to, to teach your children and for ourselves to understand this idea of waiting. That's not what we're singing about this morning. That's not what we're reading about this morning. That's not what we're meditating on as we study Scripture. The song we just sang, right, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus, it was not a song about Come Thou Long Expected Holiday Season, we've been waiting for you. It wasn't a song about Come Thou Long Expected Days Off Work Because I'm Stressed. It wasn't a song about Come Thou Long Expected Family Members Because I've longing to been seeing you for so long and I can't wait for those family gatherings. It wasn't a song about come thou long expected Christmas presents because I want presents. Those are all great things. Holidays, time off work, family together, giving gifts, receiving gifts. Those are all great things. And the Bible doesn't say don't enjoy those things. But we need to be careful that as we enter into Advent that we don't slip into that mode of, yeah, that's what we're waiting for because that's what's coming in December. And that's that's what the holidays are for. No. We are waiting for the long-expected Jesus. We are waiting for the Messiah to come back. And that's what Advent 1 is always about. Advent 1, it always has that apocalyptic feel to it. It has that, that eschatological feel. Right? Those are big words of saying Advent 1 always points us to the end. So when we start Advent, we always step into the text and we try to channel that waiting, that expectation that the ancient people of Israel had as they were waiting for their Messiah, as they were waiting for Jesus to come to them and rescue them from the Roman occupation. So we step into that longing and waiting for Jesus to come again. So Advent 1 is is always looking about the end. It's always looking about Jesus' second return. And so we look to that and we have that same longing for the promises to become fulfilled. We have that same longing for, to see peace come on earth. We have that same longing for redemption to happen. We have that longing. 
And this morning, Advent 1, is when we focus on that long longing, that faraway longing of what is to come. Verse 27 and 28 of what Myron read this morning says, At that time you will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. When these things begin to take place, stand up, lift up your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. Apocalyptic text. So text like Apocalypse is about the, the end times when Jesus was coming back. The apocalyptic text. Apocalyptic texts in Scripture are always written to give people hope. That is the purpose of apocalyptic literature, of writing, uh, revelation, what, what Jesus is talking about here. It's always designed to give the listeners, the readers, the hearers hope. They're not designed to scare people. And we can read this text and we see there's some warnings in there. We can read some other apocalyptic literature, Revelation, and see some crazy stuff in there. And we start to think, man, this, this is scary. And a lot of it's been used as scare tactics to scare people into God's family. Uh, but th- really, that's not the point of this literature. It's not the point of the reading this morning. The point is to give people hope. He's saying there's something to look forward to. There's something that you should be longing for and waiting for that gives you hope as God's people that these promises will be fulfilled. Yes, there's a warning. Yes, there's a teaching in there, and we'll look at that. But the main goal here is to give hope. It says your redemption is drawing near. That which you've been longing for is drawing near. Even though we may be struggling to feel hopeful, we might be struggling to feel this this promise coming true. We know that there's more work to be done. It doesn't feel like Jesus is near. We must claim to those promises. And also for us, I think when we look at apocalyptic texts, we think, how is that helpful? Hopeful. That seems pretty scary. That seems like a, a pretty serious and dire warning. And part of that is that when we read scriptures, right, we read from our context. So we read these scriptures as, as, as North Americans living in Ohio, living in Wayne County in 2018. By and large, uh, we're, we have a pretty comfortable life, pretty comfortable lifestyles. Uh, you know, that's, that's just kind of the, the context that we come from. And there's no problem with that. It's the context we come from. The reality is the vast majority of scripture, that's not the context they were coming from. That most of the people that were spoken to to Jesus, that had read letters written to them by, by Paul, by Peter, by James, and all these other New Testament writers, they were written to people and given to people, but their context was completely, completely different than ours. There are some exceptions to this. Like there were some wealthy and well-to-do people in Scripture that addressed Jesus and that were a part of the New Testament church. But those were the rare exceptions, whereas the majority of the people had nothing. And so just a helpful tool for biblical interpretation, right? If you're ever, when you're reading the Bible and you think, what does this mean? What is this saying? It's always helpful to try to put yourself in the original audience's shoes. And that can help make sense of it. So, you know, when you're reading the text, just imagine, what, the, what would this text mean to someone who literally had nothing other than the words that were written on this page? What would this text mean to someone who had nothing other than the hope they had in Jesus? What would this text mean to someone who had no job? who had no safety, right? Their, their lives could be endangered at any time. They had no security. They had no pensions, no 401ks, no hope of retirement. Right? They, weren't, they, weren't, they, they couldn't think, like, just work a couple more years, then you can retire and relax. Like, that, that concept wasn't there at all. Like, the, what they had to look forward to was toil and struggle until the day they died. Day they, died right? they, they had no, no assurances other than what 
they had written in front of them, either hearing the words of Jesus or a letter written to their church. That's all they had. And when you're in that situation and when you read this text and when you read the other apocalyptic texts, all of a sudden it looks a lot more hopeful. It seems a lot more exciting for Jesus to come and for our redemption to be filled, our redemption to happen. And this is a hopeful text to an audience in that position. Now, you say, okay, that's, that's understandable, that's great. What does any of this have to do with the telescope? What does any of this have to do with, with kids trying to read what's on there? You'll see in the bulletin that each week of Advent we're using a, a metaphor or a helpful a teaching device of some sort of optical tool. Right, something that helps us see better. So this morning we're looking at the telescope as that tool of something that helps us see better. And a telescope, as the kids found, or more importantly the spotting scope, which actually worked, is something helps us to see something far away that is beyond what our eyes can see on our own. We, we can't look to that sign and read it on our own. We need some sort of tool to do that. And the message today that Jesus is giving through this passage is that we have a tell, there's a message in here that we need help seeing, that we need, we need help to understand, that we need to look through that Paris, the telescope and see that he is coming. That he might seem far away that day and the hour we don't know. As we talked about last week, some people might think it's right away and it will happen during their lifetime, or it might be another thousand years or two thousand years from now. We don't know, but we need to have our eyes focused on that. Verse 36 says, Be always on watch and pray that you may be able to escape all that might happen so that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. Be on watch. Be watchful. When we wait, when we're, when we're in Advent, when we're waiting and we're longing and we're expecting, it's not a passive waiting. It's not a sitting and, and twiddling your thumbs. It's not just you know, filling your time. It's an active and participatory waiting where we peer through that telescope and we look at that future kingdom. We look at that future Messiah that is coming and we look forward to that and we have actions that we can do in the meantime. And one of the actions is to peer into that message, to peer into the telescope and to see that hope and that glory that Jesus has coming. Part of the things that we do as, as a people is to worship together, is to look at Scripture together, is to study the Word together in Sunday school or in small group. And doing that is just like looking through the telescope. We peer into the future. We peer into what's coming. We, we take a look at those promises that God has given us. And that forms us and shapes us into a hopeful people. Now, as I mentioned earlier, there's always that warning there. And that warning uh, comes in verse 34. So he says, you know, there's hope, your redemption is coming, look forward to the redemption coming. But, in verse 34, be careful or your hearts will be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and the anxieties of life. And that day will close upon you suddenly like a trap. So there's the warning. Right? It's not, it's, we, there's the hope, which is the focus on the passage, but there's the warning. You know, the, as you wait, don't wait passively, wait actively and be careful of these things. So the first two there, uh, in different versions, it says different things. Carousing. Uh, some versions say dissipation. Some versions say drunkenness, wild living. So he says, be careful of these, of these you know, drunkenness, wild living, dissipation, carousing. Uh, just, just, you know, think of the, the prodigal son, the younger brother who went off and lived in wild, money, wild living, spent all his money on parties and prostitutes, and, you know, that, that type of life. So we can probably look around the room this morning. Look at yourself, right? Don't look at each other. 
um, to think, all right, not bad. I don't see a room full of carousers in here. I don't see a room full of debauchery. I don't see a, see a room full of people who have, have invested their life into wild living and spent all their money on, on parties and prostitutes. Right? That's not, not a good job. Right? That's, that's, that's a great thing. You know, that's not, we might think, oh, well, duh, that was easy. That's really, you know, that's something to be, uh, we've, we've done well at. Give yourselves a pat on the back. Unfortunately, the, the text just doesn't stop there. It'd be great to stop there and say, yeah, we're, we're doing it, guys. Like, we're doing it. We're not doing these things. We're, we're heeding the warning. The second, the, the last little line there says, also, the anxieties of life. How are we doing there? If you look around the room, look in the mirror. All right, we're, we're staying away from wild, wild parties and prostitutes and orgies and all those things, those words we don't even want to say on a Sunday morning, right? We're, we're, we're doing okay there. But part of the warning is the anxieties of life. I'm guessing the ratios just got flipped, right? You know, if 95% in the room here has never had any, got anywhere close to a wild party and drunkenness and carousing and prostitutes, I'm guessing the ratio is flipped. There's probably about 95% of the room here today that have struggled with anxieties of life in one way or another. And that's the beautiful thing about the gospel. The gospel is good news. And the gospel is good news for everybody. None of us can sit back and say, that person needs the gospel because they're really struggling. You can say that, but you also need to say in that same breath, I need that same gospel because I struggle with anxiety. I struggle with with worry. I struggle with the anxieties of this life. And I've been warned against those things. But it's a struggle for me. And I need a Savior to rescue me from that. I need the redemption to come so I can feel that wholeness, so I can feel the saving grace of Jesus and not be distracted by all the other things in this world. I'm looking forward to that day when I no longer have any anxiety because that day will happen someday. I know. It's been promised to me. It has been promised to me through Scripture that there will be a day where I have no anxious thought. And it might seem impossible now, but I'm clinging to that promise that that day is coming. And that's the day we look forward to in Advent. The coming Messiah when all the promises will be fulfilled. And the question we, we need to look at this morning as we peer through that telescope, as we get a vision of Jesus, of the promises He's given us, is the vision of Christ compelling enough for us to not get caught up in these things? Is the vision of Jesus inviting it for us, enough for us that it draws us out of carousingness, carousing, drunkenness, dissipation, wild living, and the anxieties of life? Is our vision of Christ compelling enough that we're drawn to that over and above our concerns? Is our, is our sight drawn to our concerns and our anxieties? Or maybe we need to go refocus back into these stories, back into the life and te- teachings of Jesus, the promises he gave us. That's looking through the telescope. Focus on that. Don't let the anxieties of life drag us down. Now, a quick note on anxiety. Right, it's, it's talked about scripture about in scriptures a number of times. I know it's, it's a prevalent thing in this room. We've all struggled with it. And we have to work through the Scripture passage like this one, right? It says, don't let the anxieties of life uh, distract you. We also have to deal with things like what uh, Philippians 4, verse 6 says. 
Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. So here we have like, you know, a room full of people that we've all struggled with anxiety and worry and concern in one way or another. And we, we base our lives on this book, uh, on the teachings of Jesus that say, never do these things. How do we reconcile that? That's life, you know, that's the balance that we live in life. But let me, let me just point out that this is, a, this is a balance that Scripture is trying to work out itself. That the Apostle Paul himself was trying to deal with. Because the Apostle Paul wrote 1 Corinthians 4, 6, where he says, do not be anxious about anything. Right? Pretty black and white. Pretty like, just don't do it. But the Apostle Paul, who also wrote 2 Corinthians, also said this. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 28. And apart from these things... There is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. That's the Apostle Paul writing. The same guy who wrote, never be anxious, don't be anxious about anything. He says, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety. Sounds like a guy who's struggling with anxiety. He also writes about the fear he has for his churches. Where over and over again in the Scripture it says, do not be afraid. I think the reality is, Paul was a human being. All of us are human beings. You can't walk this earth. You can't live this life, whether it's a long life or a short life. You can't get through life without being worried about something, without being anxious about something. That's, that's part of being human. Anyone you care about, anyone you love, anything you care about, a project you love, you're going to be concerned about it and you're going to have some anxieties about it. And that is just the reality of human life. And I don't think these scriptures are telling us to like just turn off that tap and say, stop being human. Stop worrying about that person. Stop, stop loving that person so much that you're concerned about him. Because we see this example of the Apostle Paul. Is that he loved his churches so much that he, he felt this pressure, this daily pressure of anxiety for his churches. But I think today's reading is telling us is that there's a perspective. There's a perspective here about everything. That we need to peer into that telescope and see that, that near and distant king that is coming that promise that is coming. That, yeah, the Apostle Paul had anxiety. We have anxiety. We are going to have anxiety. But we shouldn't let that rule our lives. It can't be the ruler of our lives. It can't be what dominates our thoughts. It can't be our all in all. It's going to happen. And there are going to be days when it feels like it's your all in all and it feels like it's ruling your life. And that's okay. That doesn't make you a bad Christian. It doesn't make you not a Christian. It doesn't make you weak. It makes you human. But the overall task is for us is to keep our eyes focused on that future that is coming. To keep our eyes focused on Jesus. That vision of Christ that we get in the Gospels, that we get in the New Testament, of a Savior that loves us, of a Savior that, that, is, that is friend, that is father, that is, that is a loving spouse. That that is where our hope lies. Even though we can't get through this life unscathed, unscathed and anxiety-free, that good news is good enough for us. Let that good news color your whole life. Let that good news flip that anxiety on its head. And say, yeah, I'm going through this, but I have a hope that surpasses this. I've been given a promise that I know will be fulfilled. And let that, that, that longer view, that view through the telescope, shape your daily life. Let's pray. God, as we celebrate Advent, it's a celebration of waiting. It doesn't seem like something to celebrate. But Lord, we read through the whole Old Testament of your people longing for the day when you would come. Of people waiting for liberation, of waiting for peace, of waiting for the Messiah. 
And Lord, we know how that came to fruition. But this morning, we have that same longing. We know that, that your work on earth is not done. We know that, that there, is, there, are, there are wars, there is death, there is famine, there is abuse. There is all sorts of ugliness around us that we see. And we get caught up in it. We, we feel the weight of worry and anxiety for our loved ones and for our, our, the things that we hold near and dear to us. But Lord, through all that, we pray that your messianic promise can come through in our lives, that, it, that through your Holy Spirit it can become alive in us again, that the vision of who you are and the promises that you've given can be so compelling that it puts all these anxieties and worries and concerns in the backseat. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.